Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. All right. Week two. Uh, that's a good word. That's the series we're in. And the title of the message is, that is That's a Good Word About God. That's a good word about God. It's titled that way because today we are talking about God. And Maya Angelou said this, The ships of my life may or may not be sailing on calm and amiable seas. The challenging days of my existence may or may not be bright and promising, stormy, or sunny days, glorious, or lonely nights, I maintain an attitude of gratitude. I maintain an attitude of gratitude. And that's what I want for us to come away with when we look at this text, when we look deep, that we come away with an attitude of gratitude. I also want us to have this deep appreciation for God because of what he has done for us. And James here is going to show us the the way a nurse does a lot for a sick person. He's going to show us that God has done a lot for us and that we should be full of gratitude and full of appreciation. Here's the thing to take away from our talk today. We should be grateful because of what God has done. So he's done some things for us already, and what he promises to do in the future. So there's some things coming. That's the, the text is going to show us there's some things that have been done, and there's some things that are coming in the future. And again, I want us to come away full of gratitude and appreciation for God when we see it. Verse 12 says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast, man or woman, who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So last week, James says, endure the trial because you will mature. So that's what he said last week. Hold on in it. Because maturity, there's, a, there's an opportunity that trials puts in front of us. So he says, endure. And now this week he says, endure the trial because there's something coming. He says there's a reward coming. So he's saying, hold on. See, God promises to reward us. But it says it comes to the one who remains steadfast under trial. That word steadfast, it just keeps coming up. What it's talking about is an unwavering trust in God. A belief that God is good and that I'm going to remain faithful to him over the long, hard, challenging road race of life. It's to remain firm in our trust in God. It says that we will be given the 
crown of life. Now, this is another way of saying eternal life. That's what he's saying. The crown of life is eternal life. See, James is being like a good coach. That's what he's doing here. Like a good coach, he's saying, I know it's hard. I know things are tough. Life is not always bun and cheese. Sometimes it's hard for us. It's, it's trials come. But he says, hold on. Keep hope in God. Don't lose your faith. So he says, yes, there's trouble. Yes, life is hard. But keep hope in God. Why? Because there's something good on the other side. And honestly, yesterday I was thinking about this and I was like, do I believe that? Or do I just look at my Bible like it's kind of like, this is a fairy tale. It's just kind of wishful thinking. Or do I genuinely believe that there's something good coming on the other side, that there is a reward that God has for us? See, now, we get the crown of life because Jesus embraced the crown of thorns. Hebrews 12 says, and this is in the context of discipline and, and the difficulties that come, it says, you are to look to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. So Jesus says, something is coming to me. I'm, this thing is hard. This is a trial, but there's something on the other side. And so what does he do? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Same idea. Despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is like, there's something coming to me, so I'm gonna sort of go through, I'm gonna push through in this. And what was coming? It's us, our salvation. He looked and he said, this is more important. This is more valuable, so I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna willingly die in their place. He embraces the crown of thorns so we can be hopeful and believing we will get the crown of life. Now, I want you to, not miss something important in the text. It says, blessed is the man who, uh, who remains steadfast on the trial for when he has stood the test of the test, he will receive the crown of life, which here it is, God promised to those who love him. So there's a, there's a certain kind of person. It's the person who loves God. He promises to those who love him. And Jesus tells us what it means to love God. In John 14, he says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. So obedience. And he, who, and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. He's gonna reveal himself to us. If anyone loves me in verse 23 of that same chapter, he will what? Keep my word. You're like, how do I know I love God? You obey God. He keeps my word and my father will love him and will come, in, come to him and make our home with him. When we obey God, we're saying, God, I love you. When we obey the word of God, we're saying, God, I trust you. When we, we obey, we're saying, I, I believe that what you're saying is right for me, that it's wise for me to live this way. Obedience is an act of love. And this is the kind of people God rewards, those who, who obey him, who trust him. Same, same thing, remaining steadfast, our hope, and I'm gonna do what God says, even though things are tough. Now, I want you to notice that the word test comes up in verse three, before, and the word test is here again in verse 12. Now, 
that the reason why that's there is because God uses trials to test our faith. It's, a, it's an important concept to, gra- to grasp. But he, he tested Abraham. He tested the people of Israel. And you're like, why, did he, why does he do that? Why does God test our faith? Why does he allow trials to come that, that tests us? Well, Deuteronomy 8 says, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. Now that sounds like God doesn't know, but that's not what's going on. He's testing them so that they would know. He's like, I want you to know what I know. I want you to see what I see. That I may know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, frosted flakes, which you did not know, nor did you, your fathers know, that he might make you know, watch this, that man does not live by what? Bread alone. He's teaching them some things. But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So let me show you here. God tests us for these reasons. I'll just wait, it's coming. There should be another slide. God tests us to show us where we're really at. Again, God wants us to know what he knows. So he's like, you need to see this about yourself, Marv. You think you're at six, but you're actually at three. And this test shows you that. So that you remain dependent, so that you remain trusting. I want you to know where you are. I want you to see what is really going on. Then he tests us to grow us in humility. He wants to, it was right in the verse, to humble us. And then he tests us to help us appreciate our need for his word. That I need to hear from God every day. That I I need wisdom from God. That I need to not trust myself. God does that. See, God tests us, but he never tempts us. James is trying to teach us that. God tests his people, but he never tempts his people. You're like, where are you getting that from? Verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Here it is. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Temptations come in trials. Every trial brings a a level of temptation. But James is saying here, when that comes, you can't say, God, this is God's fault. That we can't blame God for the temptation. Verse 13, he tempts no one. It says that we are lured and enticed, in verse 14, by our own desires. We are the source of temptation. It's us. And this word, those words, lured, enticed, what they, what they tell you is that our wrong, sinful desires. So we have good desires that get corrupted by sin. Those wrong, sinful desires can have a hypnotic effect on us. And then it, it lures us. The, the way, uh, I was just talking to 
Ray about this. Hopefully we can go back to his cottage in the, in the summertime. But we were at the cottage and I was just, I've used this before, but the boys were fishing and I was just watching them just bringing fish, bringing fish out of the water. Just, and one of the ways that they got better at the fishing was Ray, you know, because I didn't really want to touch the worms because I'm not into that. But he just, he put a nice bait on the hook and then it was just dragging them out, dragging them out. And the way that the, 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 my, the boys were, you know, pulling the fish out the water, bait, uh, baiting them and then hooking them, James says, our desires can bait us, then hook us and drag us away. That's the picture he's trying. It's a fishing metaphor that he's trying to show us here. Now, you all know, because I talk about this a lot, that I hate winter. I really, like today is the worst. Yeah, Shay's got hands raised in the back. Praise God. I hate winter. I, some days I wonder, will there be winter in, in heaven? And maybe there'll be snow, but it'll still be warm. You know what I'm saying? It'll feel like you're in Jamaica still. I'd be, I'd be okay with that. But I hate winter. And even coming over here, one of the things that happens in wintertime is that your windshield just gets foggy, you know what I mean? And you like, you, you put the spray and, and all that kind of stuff, it still doesn't go away, kind of clears and it comes right back. Hate that. And then mostly in my car, I run out of um, the windshield, it's what's called windshield wiper fluid. Kim's always like, why don't you fill that up? I'm like, I just, I just forget. But your windshield gets foggy. Now I'm telling you this because sometimes when it comes to temptation, we get foggy in our thinking. We get foggy in our thinking. Here's the thing. Temptation is not sin. That's important. Because sometimes people are like, oh, I'm always being tempted. I'm always being tempted. And then they think, oh, if I'm being tempted, it means like my relationship with God is a mess. Like something's going on. Now, obviously, we got to be wise and not put ourselves in spots where we're being tempted. Shouldn't expose ourselves. But temptation is not sin. So I want us to understand that being a mature Christian does not mean less temptation. Jesus experienced temptation. It's a part of life. Being a mature Christian means you're giving into temptation less. That is what is going on. That's what it means to be mature. It's not that less temptation comes. It means I'm saying yes to that wrong desire less. And James, what he's trying to do, he's trying to warn us. Verse 15, he says, then desire when it's, uh, uh, desire, I got to find my spot here. The light's making me lose it. Then desire when it's conceived, verse 15, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. He's trying to say sin has consequences. Don't buy into the lie that sin will do nothing to you and nothing to the person in your life. He's saying it's dangerous. He's saying this is where sin will lead and sin can grow in our life like a weed, you know, like dandelions all over your lawn. And he's saying if you allow it, sin has this wild appetite that nothing can satisfy. The only thing that satisfies the appetite of sin is death. So it's a warning. He's trying to say sin will harm your life physically and spiritually. So he says sin is dangerous and it is. And I want us to understand that God knows that. And so he provides for us in sin. It's on the screen for you. Take it in. 1 Corinthians 10. 
no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. So there's another thing. Sometimes you're like, I'm the only one going through this. Like, nah, that's not true. Right? One of the ways, again, Satan attacks us is he's like, you're the only one going through this. That's not, that's not always true. God is faithful. There it is. Helps us. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to, there it is, endure it. It just keeps coming up. It's like the Spirit was working on this, you know, like the whole thing. That you may be able to endure it. He provides a way of escape. Every time temptation shows up, the Holy Spirit is saying, here's the door, take it. And what we are to do is be wise enough to take it. Because if not, sin drags us away from wise living and we harm ourselves and we harm the people in our life. God gives a way out. And when the Holy Spirit shows us, we are to take it. Now, last week, James said some very specific things about God, and uh, he's about to do it again. Verse 16 says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. That word beloved tells you how he feels about them, that there's a love that he has for them. These are, he's writing to people who are are poor, they're experiencing persecution, they're suffering, they're struggling. And he says, my beloved brothers and sisters, you see the heart that he has, a warm heart for them. He says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to Change. So he tells them some things about God. First, he tells them that God is creator. He says that he is the father of lights. Now this word light, it's talking about the sun and the moon. And James is saying, he, he put them in place. He guides and orders their movements. And he says, he calls him father, which tells us that God is the creator of all. He's our father. See, one of the reasons why life is so tough and complicated right now is because so many people have rejected that. Don't you feel that? God doesn't exist. Therefore, I'm just going to make it up. I'm just going to do what I want. And the world we live in is tough and complicated. As Christians, it's only going to get tougher and more complicated. How do we navigate these choppy waters? Well, again, because God is good and generous, he's provided for us. How, you say, Marv? In the Word. He's given us the Bible as a means of navigating a tough and complicated world that we live in. And then he says, God doesn't change. Verse 17, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God is immutable. This is a theological word. He is immutable. Another way of saying he does not change. See, the creation changes, but God doesn't. Our kids, when they sleep, grow. Our weight goes up and then it goes down. We change. I am losing hair as I talk. We are, we are changing. The creation changes, but the creator stays the same. And this should bless you. It should make you feel real good. You're like, why? Well, let me show you. 
blessing. We should be grateful that God doesn't change. Here's why. Because this means that we can trust God to remain the same. Think about it. What if he was just up there getting more evil? Or getting evil. He's not evil. Let me say that right. But he remains the same. He's just, all, he's just good all the time. God is never getting evil. This means that we can trust that God always has our good in mind. And that's so important as we think about the time that we are living in. That it's, yeah, it's tough, it's difficult, but God has my good in mind all the time. He will always act in ways that reflect his goodness. And so even if the hard thing rolls up on my doorstep, it's because he means it for my good. This one, it means our salvation is secure. We will persevere to the end. Jesus says we are in his hand and no one can snatch us from his hand. Our salvation is secure. This means that justice is guaranteed. Again, God is good. He will not overlook the evil and sin that is in the world. He is going to deal with that. This means that he is always worthy of worship. Always worthy of worship. There's no time where we don't lift our voice and give praise to God, the praise that he is due. And then like last week, he tells us that God is a giver. That he's generous, verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father, uh, coming down from the Father of lights. God gives good gifts to us. He gives us the good gift of trial. And again, we gotta get our mind right on this because we don't always think trials, that's a good thing? And the answer is yes. Strengthens our faith. Builds our character. Again, shows us where we are at. He gives us the gift of trial. He gives us the gift of wisdom. Wisdom helps us navigate the trial. Wisdom helps us learn from the trial. Wisdom learns us in, helps us to endure the trial. And then he gives us the good gift of life, new life. That's the best gift that he gives to us. And it's right in the text. Verse 18 of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And what this is, is the doctrine of regeneration. He says, he has brought us forth. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus talks about this in John 3. God, God, God brings us forth. And so here's what happens. I want to show us in the doctrine of regeneration. Here's what happens. In regeneration, the Holy Spirit gives us a new heart and a new life. And I've given you text there for you to get, again, I always want us to go chasing things down throughout the week. Here's something to, to go and do. Go look at these. He gives us a new heart. So he takes my old stony heart and he gives me a new heart of flesh that desires what God wants, that wants to do what God wants me to do. And I can live in a new way. He enables us, the Holy Spirit, to respond to the truth of the gospel. So this new heart comes in and it's like, yes, I want that. I know that that is good for me. I know that that is right. I know that I've lived in a certain way, that I've walked away from God, but this is the way back to him. And then he makes us a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, it says, 
He is a new creation. Behold, that means pay attention. The old has gone and the new has come. One of the things that the New Testament is always telling us is just be who you are. This is who you are, be who you are. You read the epistles, that's how it works. Theology about our identity in Christ, who we are, what God has done for us, the way he has rescued us, changed us. And then it says, now go and do. Why? Because the spirit is it. You are new. And so what we need to do now is not allow, because you're like, how does this work together? I want to make sure I'm being theologically accurate here. So my new heart wants to do what God wants me to do. And I can do it because the spirit is in me. But my flesh, which has been trained for years in bad habits, tries to deceive the new heart and draw me away. Do you see that? There's a, there's a I've heard uh, Pastor Yogi say this, it this way, that there's a civil war going on in us. So I want to do what God, but I, so I need to, that's why I need to follow the spirit because my flesh is trying to deceive and say, go this way. And the spirit's like, nah, this is the right way to go. Walk by the spirit, the text says. And then it gives us, in regeneration, the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to joyfully obey the word. We can do what God says, not perfectly, but we can do what is said. And it says now that he did it of his own will. Again, read it again. Of his own will, he brought us forth. What, what's James saying here? He, in, this little, in this little section, he's, he gives us so much deep theology, it's crazy. Because what he's telling you here is God is sovereign in salvation of his own will. So when, when Marv was about to say, when, sorry, God was about to, I can't save anybody. When God was about to save Sanjay, he doesn't say, yo, Marv, what do you think? He doesn't check in and say, do you think we should do, I should do this? He doesn't, he just says, I want Sanjay, come here. He just, he just did his thing of his own will. God is sovereign in salvation. And then he tells us the instrument God uses to bring people to new life. He says, he says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. That is the gospel. And we're going to look at this next week, but in verse 21, James calls it the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. And what's he saying there? The gospel is powerful. Able to save your soul. That's why Paul says this in Romans. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. There's the key. You got to believe. And to the unbeliever, you, the, the, the text is saying to you that salvation is available. But you need to believe the gospel again. Sinned against God. But God in his mercy and grace sends his son, Jesus Christ, who comes, lives for us, dies in our place, and is risen from the grave, seated at the right hand. And when I trust that, my life, my heart, everything begins to change. Everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Paul says here, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Spread the gospel. Why? Because there's power in it. And because we want to, be a church that's committed to gospel 
spreading. We want to equip you. So I want to remind you of something that is coming up for us. And it's a workshop that we're doing. It's called Talking to Others About Jesus, Overcoming Obstacles. We are aware there are obstacles in, 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 in it. And fears in evangelism. We are fearful sometimes. I'm not a natural evangelist. There's some people in our church that that's their, they're just good at it. But we need to grow and work at it together. And so we want to equip you to do this. And then he says, in verse 18, of his own will he brought us forth to be by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You're like, what's that? First fruits of his creatures. James here, what he's doing is he's reminding us that we're in, I said this in the Ruth series, we're part of something bigger. That we are just one part of God's redemptive work. See, believers, Christians, are like an upcoming movie. We're just, a, we're just a preview of what is coming. That God is actually doing a, a massive redeeming work. Romans 8, 22 says, creation groans for its redemption. And what we're being told here is that our world is broken. And that's why there's violence, there's wars, there's natural disasters, the creation is groaning, there's social issues, there's political issues, there's domestic issues. I feel like that's all we're seeing sort of as you look on the news. There's mental health issues because creation is groaning, it needs renewal, it's broken. And God promises to redeem it. See, there's a lot of people, I want to say this because it's important. There's a lot of people doing good work in these areas. Working in our world to, 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 to change in some of those things that are broken, that need transformation. But the ultimate renewal transformation that the world needs comes from God and he promises to do it. Every time we see another believer, do you know what should happen? Every time you see another believer, it should remind you that God is just getting started. There should be a level of encouragement that comes to your heart every time you see another believer. Because it reminds you something beautiful, something powerful is going on. God is just getting started. And I want to say this, we will go through more stormy days. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. But then what does he say? But take heart. Take heart, Jermaine. Take heart, Biso. Take heart, Marv. Why? For I have overcome the world. We will go through stormy days. That is true. But we need to understand that better days are ahead. Better days are ahead. We can sing, every little thing is going to be all right. We can nod, we can bob when we hear that. Because it's true. The question though is, and this is, I'm asking our church this question because I have to ask myself this question. Do you believe it? Do you believe better days are ahead? Because if you do believe it, do you know what happens? real hope comes to your life. You're not hoping in something that really won't last. You're hoping in something that is real, stable, 
real joy comes to your life. Circumstances, situations don't sort of throw you off. And then deep faith comes. Deep faith comes when you believe better days are ahead because they are. Again, we should be grateful because of what God has done for us already. Remember I told you that? He's done some things. James has shown us that. And we should be grateful because of what he promises to do. Better days are ahead. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word, O oh God. Father, there's encouragement in it for us. There's help in it for us. I pray we would have received that today. And Lord, I ask, Father, that in your grace, we would believe and the good things that you have done for us already, that it would, it would fill us with a heart of gratitude. We'd be grateful at all times. And Lord, the, the things that are, are promised to come would fill us with hope and strength and help us to endure the, the tough times, the trials that come. Lord, we thank you that in your wisdom, you wrote this word down for us for the times that we're in to grow our faith, to challenge our faith, to convict us, Lord, where we may have needed it and to encourage us, Lord, where we may have needed it. So we pray that you would bless us by moving us to a place where we take seriously what you have said to us and we live based on what you have said to us, that we find our hope, Lord God, in you and you alone and in what your word has said. Give us faith, Lord. Give us hope. Give us real joy. Give us trust. Help us, Lord, we pray, to remain steadfast under trial, knowing, Lord God, that we will receive the crown of life. You are going to give it to those who love you. So help us to obey, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit HopeTorontoNorth.com.